Hello and welcome back to Absurdity. Woo! That is uh that is something to say now. This is that is absurd. Um, this is weird because Henry is on Absurdity again. That's not weird. I was on a long time ago for a couple big episodes, but this time it's permanent. This time it's permanent. So before we get into that, um, I do want to start off with some, I mean, everything that I'm about to say pretty much is good news, but I want to start off with the best news, which is um, this month, March of 2021, um, and I actually get to celebrate this in a week. I'm going down to Florida to see my family. Um, this month, it marks 10 years of remission for my mom uh, from being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer back in 2011 which is, Yeehaw. she was actually diagnosed like late, she was diagnosed late 20, uh, 2010, 2020, uh, late 2010, but she she actually entered remission in March of, 20, of 2011. And so, yeah, I get to go down and celebrate uh, and with my family and, and see her. And I'm, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. That is super worth being excited about. That is, yes. that is awesome. And we know that there are probably those of you listening, knowing how far spread the scourge of cancer is that have had a loved one go through it or sadly one who has had to lay up the fight for a while until the soon coming of the Lord. And so just know that, I mean, definitely Ryan uh, can understand, but we want to grieve with you. We want to celebrate with Mm -hmm. you. There is hope after cancer. We know that's one of those statements that as soon as you hear it, it turns your world upside down. But, um, it, it can be overcome, and we're thankful to all the people in the research labs and everything else that are are doing hard work every day, the American Cancer Society, things like that, uh, March for Dimes, uh, the Pink Ribbon Foundation, all of these things that are, are working really hard to keep people like Ryan's mom with us, and that's something to celebrate every step of the way. So awesome yeah. sauce, Ryan's mom, if you're listening, we are so glad you're here, and thank you for bringing this beautiful boy into the world. Oh, um, yeah, I actually don't know if she listens. I have no idea. I showed her how a while back, but that was years ago. So who knows? Uh, you know, maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Uh, granted, we've disappeared in enough times that who knows? Um, so <laughs> if you're wondering why we're absurdity uh, and why, why, if you're listening to this episode specifically on a beautiful faiths uh, episode list, uh, why I said welcome to absurdity, uh, it is because we have consolidated. Uh, so foisting tons of change upon the world. The fact that I have so many podcasts, I have other side projects as well is a, is like a real symptom of ADHD. Um, and what has happened is as new opportunities have come up and new ideas have come up too, um, I've stepped a lot more into the world of consulting and, uh, brand strategy and, um, educational content. And I've, I am doing making moves in that area, both professionally and I'm not like leaving my current job or anything right now, but the, you know, I'm making moves in that direction and something had to give. I can't do everything. And with Tony having stepped down from absurdity and, uh, he's newly married now, which is awesome. Um, 
What is up with your co-host getting like married and then dropping off the face of the planet? Maybe I'm just the ultimate matchmaker and I didn't know it because he's married to my to our former or to Absurdity's former social media manager. Um, <laughs> it's all in the family. Exactly. Um, so uh, and he starts pastoring this uh, next month in Texas, which is also <laughs> Pray awesome. Pray for him. Um, but the basically I realized like something had to give. And with Absurdity being um, in the state that it was with content having to come from me once a month, I realized that that's time that could be better spent honestly doing other things. But I don't, it's not even just sentimental value. I have put in a lot of work to absurdity. I think there's still value in it. And so I approached Henry literally less than 24 hours ago uh, sure. and was like, hey, what if we did this? And we did everything that we're doing on A Beautiful Faith, but we do it for absurdity. And we just do it under that name. It's one less project that I need to worry about recording, editing, content creation for. It allows me to focus my time and it allows us to to utilize a brand that that we don't have to do as much to build up absurdity like we were like we would have for a beautiful faith. So it just allows a lot me to focus a lot more. And the other thing that it allows me to do is create higher quality content for absurdity now too, because now it's us focused on one thing, not me focused on both. The other problem it solves is having to worry about overlap in content between both shows. So there's there's so much there that um, that that made it seem like the stars really aligned for this to be able to happen. Um, and so I want to thank Henry for his flexibility on this. And and listeners, if you know, for those of you who are with a beautiful faith, welcome over to Absurdity. Um, I am leaving all of the A Beautiful Faith episodes up. That podcast artwork, everything will still be up. Uh, so you can go and listen back if you've never heard an episode of A Beautiful Faith. Um, and e nothing will change content-wise. And for those of you on Absurdity, our content style was not anything that you wouldn't be used to already. So don't worry. Um, if if you don't enjoy this, it's probably just because you don't like us at that point, which is fine. You, more, more power to you. Um, but this just allows me to provide higher quality content and, uh, and higher quality versions of the content that you've already come to expect from uh, from me and from us. So Henry, your thoughts on any of that? Anything well, you'd like to say? Of all, first of all, it's an honor to come on now as a co-host, as one who, I don't even remember what episode it was, uh, years ago now. <laughs> oh, it was like episode like the first 50 time. or something, like somewhere in the 50s, I think. Something about the battle of music, or I can't remember what we... Oh yeah, the... We, um, you titled it something great. Well, there was the secular versus sacred SmackDown. SmackDown. That one was that's, different, that's though. Right. That one was different. The music one, I can't remember. I can't remember what that one was. I can't remember the title title uh, now either. But the secular versus sacred SmackDown was the first episode. That was fantastic. Uh, so it's just it, it's been fun to be a listener on Absurdity for some time, and a patron. Hint, hint. Yes. Everybody, you're gonna want to be a patron to help continue this this machine. It's absurd if you're not. <laughs> and the other two things I would say is, first of all, I want to give my thanks to Tony, who preceded me on this show for quite some time. I know he's got a lot going on in his life right now, as any of us would with a new marriage and a new church. I can kind of relate to that somewhat in the last year or so. But uh, we wish him well with that. And just know I'm not Tony. I don't think that surprises anybody. I'm, I'm not Tony, nor can I be Tony, nor do I necessarily want to be Tony. Not that Tony is a bad thing. Just... No, I'm unique, but I'm I'm stepping into his shoes, and he's left some big shoes to fill. So uh, I just want to thank him for that, and hopefully do him credit and justice as we keep pick up the torch and keep going yep. forward. And if anyone's curious, 
he's not referring to Tony's, you know, big shoes to fill because Tony did a great job. It, Tony actually has abnormally large feet. That we've we've been trying to encourage him to see a doctor about it for years. Um, we're all very concerned. I'm kidding, by the way. I'm 100% kidding. I just realized that like anyone I, I, listening I thought, to this... I thought it was related to Longfellow. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people don't know Tony. So I was like, wait a minute. I probably just technically slandered him. He, what no, you don't nothing... understand is that he was going to go into basketball, but Nike couldn't make the shoes big enough. Or at Correct. least the ones they were making were all being bought up by the son of the Nike exec. So he couldn't get it. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> I brought that up in the last episode of A Beautiful Faith, actually. Um, so that's amazing. Um, so yeah, sorry, I interrupted you to make that joke. What were you gonna what were we gonna oh, end with? No, that that's fine. The only other thing I was gonna say is for those of you who are on a beautiful faith, we we welcome you here. Thank you for making a little bit of this, this transition. We know we've thrown a lot at you in the last couple months, but I think this is like so many, even like the world, the country right now, we're kind of picking up after COVID. We've learned a lot of lessons. We're moving forward and we we think we're going to be in a better place post-pandemic than we were before. And that's kind of the beauty of the pandemic. I think it gave us all time to refocus. And if we took advantage of that, great things are going to come. And if we didn't, well, romp, romp, romp. we didn't shoot for the stars. We uh, put a finger and a thumb in the shape of an L on our forehead. And if you didn't get those two references in the same song, nice. you did not grow up in the 90s. Okay, anyway. Yep. So, or yeah, watch so Shrek just, ever. Yeah, that's true. It was also on Shrek, but I, I remember you when know that, that came You know out that it school. being on Shrek was an accident? They used that song Whoa. as filler during the animation process. They just used it as a filler song while they were... Um, be, while they were deciding what they really wanted to do and as they were going through editing... Um, and they turned out they all ended up loving it, and so they ended up actually getting it licensed. But it was never meant to actually to be in Shrek as any in any significant way. Oh, that's hilarious! So the filler became permanent, and thankfully in this case it worked. But let's transition and talk about when filler doesn't work, Correct. or when we don't make the best of the pandemic. Ryan, tell us what is the absurd thing we're talking about today? Absolutely. Um, well done. Well done. Um. So the absurd thing today that we're talking about is um, always remember to claim business expense deductions on your taxes if you run a sole proprietorship, such as a content creation platform, which is what That's I... That's absurd. Which is what I learned. And now um, I haven't been doing that for several years, by the way. And brought to you by H&R Block. Please sponsor us. <laughs> this year, I just unlocked $6,500 extra dollars of ta in tax deductions because of business expenses. And luckily, I still have time to go back to the last three years. So about to, about to save some, some, some shmoney uh, on my bills. Some shmoney. The real absurd thing this, uh, this week on Absurdity, which by the way, we're weekly now, is the pandemic and the church when this pandemic is whatever over looks like for it. So as life begins to get back to normal, Henry and I are, are wanting to, to, to have this conversation now because I think, the, I think the, the problem is going to be the church was already caught off guard by the pandemic. The whole world was. And we all shut down and had to pivot and figure out what we were doing. Now we've, we're, we're getting into the position of at the same time that we're fatigued and exhausted and drained and tired of this, we're also getting comfortable with, with the pattern and, and the pattern of life. And what's going to happen if we aren't intentional now is 
the world returning back to normal is also going to catch us off guard. And we will not be prepared to meet the needs of whatever, you know, whatever whatever situation that our, our local churches and us as individual Christians, uh, the needs of the world around us and and actually engage with with our communities. And so we wanted to have yeah. this conversation of discovering like, okay, so where have we been? What have, what, have, what have we been doing? What has that looked like? How has that worked? And then where do we go from here and how do we move forward? And I've talked about this topic in some way, shape or form several times. But this is, I think this time as I was coming up with, you know, my own, my own portion of this outline, I think this is the first time I've thought about some of the things that I, that I think I'm going to talk about today. So I think I have some new thoughts on this. If you've heard me talk about this before that I'm, I'm very interested to go down. So yeah, Henry, um, you know, going back to how we, we first entered the pandemic with, you know, and, and how the church first handled that transition. I mean, what are your what are your initial thoughts on all of this and and how we adapted? Uh, we being the by the way, I don't mean any specific denomination. I mean Christianity as a whole. Um, I think there are some exceptional cases, both on the bad side and the good side. Um, but I don't think we can and judge again, the this whole is our, by the exception. This is our experience in the United States because neither you or I, nobody was traveling. We weren't anywhere. Uh, we can't speak to that. That'd just be our world here. Not that the United States is all that the world is, but just that's where we've been the last year. So yeah, looking at it from that perspective for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, where where are you? Where yeah, how how have you regarded all of this? Well, first of all, uh, you know, when you said, well, how do you think the church handled it? I think we handled it like somebody spreading their arms wide on the interstate and getting hit by a Mack truck. Nice. I, I you know, we handled it, but our hands were getting smeared off the front end of the grill. Uh, in short, if you couldn't tell what I think right now, I, I think we bombed it. It did not work. Now I'm making it sound like car bombs, truck bombs, whatever. We're just I was so say, many now, metaphors. Now you just sound like the entire U.S. Uh, the the entire U.S. invasion of the Middle East, and and um, yeah, we bombed it, and it didn't work. We there's somehow yeah, can, can more just, terrorists now. Can I just say for a side note? There's something very freeing about absurdity. <laughs> I feel like we've already just thrown a whole bunch of stuff in there and it's like, it's absurdity, get over it. Anyway, so yeah, unleashed. But yeah, I don't think for the most part we handled it well. And I mean, Christianity in general, because, and 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 I'm not going to lump myself into, well, I would have handled it great. I'm saying all of us collectively, I don't think either, because I mean, to begin with, I don't think Christianity was the first thing on our minds. If we're honest, yeah. it wasn't on mine. You know, the pandemic hit and our first thought was, how does this impact my life? Yep. And so eventually, as you start working through that, you get to the religion thing. And maybe that was very telling how far down your list religion was. And it was kind of interesting for me because, you know, I work for a religious organization and it was not the anywhere near the top of the list of things I started working through going like, how does this impact it? So that might be very telling too. So... Yeah, I mean, we were adjusting to that, and then, of course, everything stopped. And I think the first thing for me that tells me we didn't handle it well, and, and maybe I should go further, it's not that we just didn't handle it well. I don't think we were prepared to handle it well because things weren't well before the pandemic. Correct. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, so in other words, the fact that the church disappeared, and I had about nine other things to think about before it dawned on me, wait a minute, we don't do church like we normally do, tells me, and of course I have this with the benefit of hindsight, 
it tells me the church wasn't operating correctly to start with, at least not the ones I was personally experiencing. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think... I think we ended up with, and and this I have mentioned before. I think we ended up with with two categories uh, when it comes to churches. I think we, and and Christianity. I think we saw Christians who saw this, who saw you know moving online and adapting to this as an opportunity, and I think we saw others uh, that saw it as a. We had others who saw it as a band aid solution, right? It was a necessary evil for the time being, and I think. Well, and think about this: who was not on the internet yet? Like, yep. in its own way, that's pathetic. And I say that as someone who came in, uh, I, I have an interesting perspective in the sense that I transitioned back into full-time pastoring of churches in the middle of the pandemic. And even in the middle of the pandemic, I had one of my two churches that was still not online and thought it weird that I would ask them to be online. Yep. And the other one had thankfully at least figured out how to turn a camera on and hit go to YouTube. You know, but that was that was yep. about it. You know, and, yeah, and and that's the the sad thing is that to me that tells a, a sign of, you know, that's a sign of a few things. Number one, I think it's a sign of members being inflexible um, and being unwilling to you know stay modern and and up to date with 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 the rest of the world. And by the way, being up to date with modern methods does not mean that you are now of the world instead of in the world or that you're not still peculiar. Trust me, some of y'all are too peculiar. Um, the regardless <laughs> Listen, of what think, medium you're using. And and now this will sound absurd and get me in trouble with certain segments of listeners perhaps. There was a there was a movie that was really popular during the early stages of the pandemic when all of us had plenty of time to be on Netflix. And does anyone remember the movie about the two popes? Did I actually watched that. I actually did not watch that. You didn't watch that? Okay, it was actually really good. And as I said, that right there will freak out some people. But it was it was really good. It's no, about I won't the relationship freak out between. They can get over it. Yeah. Well, it's absurdity. Yes. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, it's about the relationship between Pope Francis before he was Pope, and then obviously Pope Ratzinger, um, which I just went blank on. That was not his. That was his name before he was the Pope, and now I can't oh, remember. Gotcha. I haven't seen it, so I don't, I mean, I, I know it's based on actual people, but no, I never saw, yeah, I didn't see it. Oh, Benedict, thank you. I couldn't remember what You're he welcome. went by. As yeah. His, yeah, You're welcome. Thank you. You just, you just spurred my mind. That's absurd. So anyway, yeah, so Pope Benedict, and who was eventually going to become Pope Francis, as they were kind of interacting ahead of Benedict stepping down and, and kind of starting the process for selecting a new Pope. And anyway, in that movie which was filmed prior to the pandemic, I believe, and was not about the pandemic at all. Correct. It came but out we in 2019. In the yes. So, uh, but I was watching it because you have copious amounts of time now in the pandemic. And there was a phrase that the character, and I don't know if this was actually said by Francis or not, but the character of, of Francis made a statement that I think just came to my mind is really relevant to this. He said, it's not that we're married to the spirit of the age, because if we, any church married to the spirit of the age will be a widow in the next. Mm. And, and his point was he was having this argument, well, argument strong for it. He was having a disagreement with Benedict. Again, I know this is fictional in the film, and they were, they were making a point about how could the church still stay relevant and, and what was the lengths it could go to and what could it not. And that was just a statement that came. He's like, listen, if you marry the spirit of the age, you'll be widowed in the next. And so I, I think that whole side is to say, we're not saying, you know, it's all about relevancy. Sometimes I think we've made an idol out of that 
as the church because I think our content should have already been relevant. It's it's not about relevancy. It's about relevant methodology mm-hmm. to communicate its relevance. And I, I think that's yeah. where we're kind of getting at. We're not trying to argue that somehow as Christians, we think Christianity wasn't relevant, but now find some way in the pandemic to make it relevant. No, yeah. the message has always been it's our methodology has lagged far behind. Well, I would actually argue that to some degree, some of our messaging and and that I I would say the message has been a problem, but it's not because of what the message should have been. It's because we've actually been in some respects preaching a problematic message. And I think that problematic message is part of why the pandemic impacted the church the way that it did. Um because I think I think what the 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 pandemic exposed how event-based and gathering-based the church is. And don't get me wrong, I'm not about to say that gathering and, you know, together and worshiping together and fellowship and all that is not important. What I'm saying is we put all of our stock into the event. All and the f- eggs in one basket. And for for many, for many churches, the only thing that changed during the pandemic was that their building went from being used one day per week to being used to zero. zero days. That's the only thing that changed. Other than everyone was a little bit angrier now too. Yeah. So like, and part of that was because we were preaching a problematic message. And this is, this is where I, 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 I'll go in depth on this later, but we were preaching a problematic message that, that put way more stock in the, the gathering and the power of the gathering than in the actual power of Christ and in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and in actual, a, a, a restorative salvific message. Instead, we focused on building up the churches as, as organizations, which means that you play a numbers-based game. And yeah, I well, do we'd think- really, We'd really swallow the, the more evangelical- trend of the early 2000s, late 90s of the megachurch. Every church subconsciously has desired to be a megachurch in one way, shape, or form. And don't tell me that's not true. Yep. Because I know there's the more conservative numbers where they're like, oh, well, we don't want the music and the rock concert. Well, forget, forget the music for a moment. That's all the externals. The, the, at the core, even people that say they don't like, quote, the smoke machines and the and the bands and the skinny jeans and the coffee bars and the donuts or what, whatever little you know, outward appearance thing you don't like. The alternative is you still wish you had a 5,000 member church Yep, that just had pews and an organ and, and something else. The point is we, we've been driven about the most successful churches are those that are the biggest. Yep. Physically and can pack the most people in at any one point. Yep. And that's, that's about all of us wanted bigger churches. That was the whole goal is bigger churches. We used to, in, in our denomination, we used to measure the success of a pastor by the number of baptisms per year that they got. And that was an actual audit that was done. Um, we used to? I know we still do. But when I say measure the success, I also mean like your job was threatened if you didn't get X, you know, X number or whatever arbitrary number some parts of the church assigned to that. But like, you know, there was some parts of the church in our particular persuasion. I think that still occurs. Correct. That especially outside of the U.S. I I have known of of certain places that do it and some places I think in the U.S. too. Um, The or at least in North America. Um, But yeah, I, I, I just think that we we preached a problematic message that meant that when actual trouble came, we were not prepared to, uh, to meet it. 
And when I say prepared to meet it too, I do mean having peace, having any sense of security, having any sense of safety. And the only sense of safety and security people had was entirely the wrong way to have it, which was, yeah. I don't need a mask because the Lord will protect me. It oh was, my goodness. yep. They're like, yeah, we were safe and secure. Yeah, but you were angry, well, I was gonna, safe and secure. I was going to say, and, like, and, and poor, poor theology as well, to where we're so event-based, not just in attendance, but event impacting our theology. Yep. So then you get all the people, and this isn't any just particular denomination. They're like, the, you know, the vaccine's the mark of the beast, or, or here's the bigger one. The mask is the mark of the beast, that we're setting ourselves up to be compelled to receive the mark of the beast by listening to government mandates and putting a mask on. Mm -hmm. And I swear I have fought more about masks in the last year than I, I, I didn't want a mask to become an issue. I knew it was becoming a political one, but I did not want it to become. Uh, no, that's all we've dealt with. And it's. Uh, yep. We we have had to spend so much time infighting over this stuff that we haven't actually been able to get much done. And there are some churches who have, by the way. There are some amazing churches that have done amazing things. And and I like here's my here's I always say this when I'm complaining about something and in, in, in a broad or 3000 foot view, which is if you if this doesn't apply to you, if you're like, that's not me, that's not my church good, then we're not talking about you. Like, it's not a, don't be offended. I know that's weird for me to say, but like, if I'm not talking about you, why are you offended? That's my, like, so it's Today's okay. Today's culture is all about being offended for others. Um, that's right. That's right. They're offended for them. But in this case, I don't mind offending someone who wasn't doing what they should have been doing. And that includes me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I think the other thing is that churches who didn't know what to do to support themselves, like to support their own members, um, and to support others in their community and surrounding, you know, city, neighborhood, whatever, I think that they revealed a significant lack of care, and in some cases, I think intentional contempt for the community around them. I think they they revealed it by their unpreparedness to deal with it or to deal with need to meet needs when the pandemic came. And I, I, it's just, it, it's sad to me, but it's, it's reality. If it showed how many churches don't know their own community and don't know their own people because they were so event-based and not relationship-based and not, you know, growth-based, you know, discipleship-based, it was a place to meet and gather and feel good about ourselves for an hour and a half or however long you spend at church on a, on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday. And that was it. And that's, what's so frustrating to me. And, and to me, it, 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 it is angering and I wish it was different because I believe the church has a higher calling than that. Yeah. I'm going to push back slightly, but also kind of agree with the point you're making that I'm resonating with. I'm, I'm willing to give the church a slight pass, not a big one, Right, I still agree we failed miserably, like you said, in being prepared to know our communities and actually be there for them when the pandemic hit. But I want to be able to give them a slight pass in the sense that nobody was prepared for this. Governments weren't prepared for this. Churches weren't. And yes, there's the idealistic side of me that wishes the church had not flopped as bad as everybody else did. But I'll, I'll give them just enough of a pass to say, well, nobody handled it right, which is kind of lame as an excuse because it's like really so everybody dies so what you know that that's not the point i'm getting at what i'm saying is is the thing that bothered me more was not so much that we were not set up 
to immediately assist the community. It was the utter contempt we showed and the utter lack of care, it seemed, we showed the community that once the pandemic hit, we spent all of our energies fighting against things that were commonly agreed would help the community and were well within our power to do, and we refused to do it for nothing short of our own selfishness, pride, arrogance, and convenience. Yes. However, I want to push back and saying no one knew what to do. And I actually, I was going to bring this up later, but now we're, we're going to do this anyway. Um, Let's just get into it. Fight. Oh. This Look at Beto O'Rourke in Texas. And by the way, I'm not, this isn't like, oh, everyone go vote for Beto next election, though Ted Cruz can can crawl in a crawl in a hole for all I care. I keep, I, um, I keep forgetting this is absurdity. So <laughs> look at Beto O'Rourke. Because when the Texas storms hit, or AOC for that matter in, in this regard, but I, I want to focus on something that Beto O'Rourke actually did and, and, got, um, and got in the news for. I, I'll, I'll, I'll link this in the show notes for anyone who's curious. Um, Beto O'Rourke is organizing wellness checks for seniors during Texas blackouts. Ted Cruz is in Cancun. That's the, that's the headline. The bottom line is, during the storm, Beto O'Rourke organized an entire a huge group of people together, put together a call center and was calling seniors, senior citizens specifically left and right, asking them, are you okay? What do you need? How can we help you? You know, what, what resources can we get to you? We did know what to do because we know what to do when someone is hurting at the day in Florida, the day after a hurricane, everyone is calling in Tennessee just last year when tornadoes during a pandemic, tornadoes ripped through the county that I live in, there are enti- there was an entire school, entire houses that were leveled, just erased off the face of the earth. And driving through those parts of town is haunting. When you, I used to, the school that got torn down, I used to play soccer at, and when I was in college with a with a huge group of like local, just local people. And the night of those tornadoes, while well, you know, after just after everything had calmed down, forget the pandemic. People were, and and I get like, don't forget the pandemic. What I mean is. People were out lifting and cutting trees, getting out, getting things out of the roadway. They were rescuing their neighbors. They were providing shelter for neighbors. They were out and actually assisting people. We know what to do in an emergency situation. We know what to do in an unexpected situation. We just didn't do it because of everything you just said. Our focus- we were caught up in other things. Our focus was not where it needed to be. Our focus was- and it was and and our focus was never trained on where it needed to be because we were so focused on sub- celebrating ourselves once a week that we forgot to even look at people around us as anything other yeah. than a threat to our christianity because of what whatever you believe about the mark of the beast or the end times and persecution and that's yeah no i and i think that's something the pandemic has really exposed probably for a lot of different sectors of society, but let's let's just talk about the church in the West for certain, is the abject selfishness of ourselves, which tells me that we haven't allowed the gospel to work, or at least not work to the level that it needed to be. Because I know God works in spite of us, so I'm not saying that good things haven't happened. And again, like Ryan said, if this isn't your church, then yay. <laughs> I, I can only speak for you know our experiences, but that, that was one of the things that this is absurdity, right? I can say stuff. Yes, like you can. This is one of the things that bugged me the most about the mask thing. Okay. And I say this as someone who spent the last year as a minister having to enforce, I don't even like the term, enforce 
a mask mandate that our local city has in place uh, with my members of one of my particular churches. And the amount of pushback mm-hmm. I've received on this thing, and again, I'm in the South, and I get that there's a lot of politics with this, and I really wish that we lived in a world that politics didn't have to interfere with public health, but we're all selfish creatures, and it does. But my my point is, every single argument, and again, I, I'm, I'm making a blanket statement, and I'm sure there's probably a few people out there that this would not apply to, and they mean very well and have very sincere reasons for why they believe what they believe and and whatever. And I want to say clearly, I don't doubt the sincerity about the individuals, maybe even I'm about to reference, and their pushback on certain things. Here's what I think about this, though. I never doubt someone's sincerity, but you can be sincerely wrong. And my grandfather used to say all the time, he said, sincerely mistaken people have only two choices when they are presented with fact. That is, they cease to be mistaken or they cease to be sincere. Yep. At that point, you're doubling down. Yeah. And I know we all do that. We've all done it on different issues. I, just because I personally wear a mask and have for the last year doesn't mean that I'm absent of hypocrisy in my life or don't have other areas where I'm selfish. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying to me, it became just a visible sign of an internal issue when the biggest thing the church had to fight over and wrestle with when the pandemic's really going underway and everyone's worried that church is shut and when can we open it or whatever, is fighting wearing a piece of cloth on my face for an hour when you had to wear it to go into Walmart or the grocery store, although I get a lot of people don't do that anymore either. But my point is, and you would fight it and they would give the most selfish, lame excuses to me all the time as to why they should be exempt from caring about the health of our community, both in the building and outside of it. Yep. If I, I mean, if I had a quarter for every person, it's like, well, I have a doctor's note that I can't breathe with one of these things. And I know I'm getting to vent now because it's absurdity. So apologize. Mm-hmm. I apologize to everybody. It's like, wow, he got really aggressive all of a sudden. Well, I'm just, I'm balancing to this new platform. But yeah, no, it's, you know, when it's harder to breathe, when you have COVID <laughs> or after right? COVID. And second of all, well, yeah, and here's the other thing. If you have a problem where you can't breathe with a mask, that you're already immunocompromised enough or your lung capacity is not up stuff, why are you voluntarily showing up in a place with hundreds of people potentially crammed into pews or seats or whatever that also don't want to wear masks and could potentially be carriers? Yeah. Like, do you hate yourself? It just, it just... Boom. And, you know, plus no doctor is going to write that note unless you had to go out of your way to beg them to write that note. Yeah. Well, I mean, the amount of effort you had to go to to go get the note. Yeah. Well, and let me, it's like, let me say this too, because I want to counter this with something that's a little bit more uh, in the same way that you, you tempered me on that, on that last point. I do want to temper this by saying too, I think the other thing that this revealed was a mental health issue. Uh, mental health crisis that don't get me wrong. I didn't reveal it necessarily like, like all, all of a sudden we didn't know, but I think part of, part of what amplified all of this was the fact that we had so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike who 
do not know how to deal with their emotions, who don't know, know, they don't know how to grieve, they don't know how to be angry and process that anger, they don't know how to constructively use it, they don't know how to deal with feeling upset and frustration, you know, and and in some ways that was that was me as well. I, you know, I can I can speak personally to that because I'm guilty of some of the very things that I'm lambasting on this episode, and uh, and I be I would be. Uh, since I would be being insincere at that point if if I wasn't even willing to admit that much, so I think that we we what you know whatever we do moving forward needs to include some sort of plan for dealing with with mental health in such a way of actually giving people the tools to to process their emotions and to to wrestle with them and and to actually deal with them in a in a healthy way. It doesn't mean that everything we do is going to be perfect, but the bottom line is almost every everything that has happened within the last year that we would look at as negative was weaponized anger and frustration to some degree. Mm-hmm. That's all it that's all it turned in that you know and, and and that's why I I I feel like I've been on this soapbox with with anger recently um and I'm looking at finding a mental health professional to actually come on and and talk about this at some point too. I really do feel like we we need to have a reckoning when it comes to actually providing resources to this. That does not mean that the church is the one who teaches it necessarily. What it means is we bring in and partner with professionals the same way that we partner with any other professional, and we actually give our members and and our and you know our fellow Christians the actual tools they need to be safe, to be secure to be confident as they are as they are walking through situations like this and things that aren't as as you know as serious and, and globally impactful as as a pandemic. Yeah. Now that's very prescient uh prescient prescient I, I think it's prescient. Talk. Yeah, anyway, I precious. Anyway, so yeah, now I think that's a very it's a very good point. It it is weaponized anger. I mean even to a point my own venting is my own anger and frustration at constantly being battling it. So, I mean, yeah, that, that goes back to, again, what is the church? We, we weren't primed to deal with it, most likely because we weren't dealing with it even before. In fact, I know we weren't. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, just picking on mental health, now that you said that, mental health is one of the few areas that the church has consistently neglected. Oh, wait, wait. Almost as if it's a emotional health. We we knew this. Ah, uh, uh, that's health. right. We knew this. We, we knew, knew this. this. We knew this. Sorry, Kim. Our, no, no, no. It's, no, 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 no. It's not emotional. It's emotional well being. Well being. Ah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Kim Cove. A uh, we <laughs> we haven't had to use that statement in a while. So ah, it's been over a year. Yes, wild. Uh, since we had her on a beautiful faith, but yes, Kim Cove, if you're listening to this, sorry, emotional well being. Yes, and we're sorry that your emotional well-being took a hit as you listened to that tirade for about five minutes before we got remember. there. Yeah, thank you for your educational patience. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> our emotional well-being we we weren't really focusing on because emotional well-being is one of those things that we've always said get you know have faith. I I don't know why the stigma in in the church. You know, churches. I mean, even churches that prioritize health, we're all like, oh man, something's wrong with your heart or your lungs go to the doctor. But the moment something might be quote, you know, not working quite up to stuff with your brain. We're like, just have faith. Yep. Like, well, no, that's an organ too. get help. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and so I, I, I do, I feel like that's something that's more of a plea of, of, you know, I hope that we can, we can move forward with some version of a focus on that, but I do want to, I do want to shift gears. We have talked to, you know, we've lambasted a lot on, on what was done wrong 
Um, is there anything that you feel before we before we shift to the future? I do want to say is that, or ask: Is there anything you feel we did right? Is there anything that you feel that we, or is there any good that we feel can that has come of this, uh, all of this, or we can draw out of it? I mean, I definitely think some good is has come out of it, depending on how we chose to address it. And what I mean by that is, I mean, I mean, I have personal experience with this, just even within my own parish district however you want to call it, because I've had two churches that have completely chosen to react to the pandemic differently. I've And this kind of gets ahead to what we want it to be for the future as well. But I, I've seen both of these in microcosm in my own sphere of the world. Mm. There's been one church where the members, uh, both churches were small. I'm, I'm just going to preface it this. Both of these were more of what you would call traditional-sized American churches, under 50 people or close to 50 people, meeting in a small building that's usually dated as well, has existed from eras gone by, and was already prior to the pandemic struggling along, either with, you know, age demographic challenges, other things. It's just the typical church that you might drive by in the South or, or wherever you might be. And I had one church that when the pandemic hit, I mean, both churches complained. They're like, no, we can't have service. Everything's shut down. You know, what do we do? But I've, I've had one in the last year that has done nothing but curse the pandemic and just do whatever they thought was necessary to hold on waiting for the new normal so that everything can go back to the way it was. Yep. And and no matter what you try and convince them of otherwise, they're just, no, we've got to get back to the way it was. Right? Oh, we're so glad that we learned how to go on YouTube, but, you know, that's just to, you know, so every meeting you would have with them is like, well, we can't do that because of the pandemic. No, we can't do that because of the pandemic. Like anything you suggest, they're like, yeah, but with the pandemic, we can't do that. And so the pandemic kind of became the crutch to now uh -huh. be the latest excuse for why the church was irrelevant and not operating and dying and not growing and, and whatever. All of it was like, well, as soon as the pandemic's done, we can do it. But that, that, was, that was the one church. And uh, to their credit, they haven't shrunk anymore, but they definitely haven't grown. <laughs> and nothing has changed except that now they're uploading some of their messages online. So there's that. The other church started off much the same way. Oh, no, we can't meet the pandemic. You know, why can't we be in the building? Except, you know, ah, this isn't fair. We can't do that because of the pandemic. But thankfully, and this isn't a testament to me as much as to the leadership team that was there, and I get there's different circumstances and different people and different things that lead them to be able to make the choices that they do. But the other church finally reached a point of going, this is a do or die moment. Mm -hmm. Like we were already dying before the pandemic. So what do we have to lose? You know, we might as well see what we can do. Right? They, they, in other words, they, they took lemons and made lemonade out of it. They said, okay, is there anything we can do in the pandemic that would set us up for the new normal after the pandemic? And it's been a night and day difference. They haven't just updated going on YouTube or being more social media friendly or revamping their website and stuff they've all done, by the way. But they started looking even in the, okay, well, let's start with the one thing we can do. We can't do a lot of stuff in the community right now. Again, COVID and we weren't set up for that and, and whatever. But they said, let's start focusing on the internal foundational things that will prepare us to do things in the community when things go back to normal streamlining the service, you know, t touching what I like to call holy sacred cows, mm -hmm. 
of, of the church. And, and what I mean by that is things that the church has just always done, and they all they place an outsized importance in it, even though it's not prescribed scripturally. Correct. Or, or everything else. Even even simple things such as get you know, passing an offering plate. Yep. You know, uh, you know, it, it started off with, well, we can't do that because of the pandemic. <laughs> you know, because you could everybody touching the same surface and walking in front of each other is not good. Right. But streamlining the surface uh, ser- service, thinking about the service also for those that are online watching. Right. You know, the people watching through the screen aren't there to hear the five people give their their praises and prayer requests in the prayer time that goes for 40 minutes Correct. of gossip. Right. You know, whatever. Yep. You know, they just can't. They started streamlining yeah. those things. They started saying, okay, well, what is our mission going to be, our vision going to be after the pandemic? Oh, we don't have a vision or a mission that we've ever written down or come up with. We need to work on that. Hey, financially, we need to figure out what can we absolutely operate on and what can we not? You know, what What are the things that absolutely have to keep going and what don't? Uh, these kinds of things. And they they began to make these conversations. They had these hard conversations. They did the hard heart work, the group work. The whatever to the point that now, even in the midst of pandemic, they've grown by a factor of five. Mm. Like they have gone in the pandemic with like social, you know, distancing restrictions and and mask wearing and and only so many places you can sit and all with all of this stuff. Even in the midst of them knowing this isn't the ideal situation for the church, they've grown to the point that we're in the pandemic. We outgrow we outgrew our building. And our goal wasn't to fill the building, right? And there's a lot of resources that are coming together prepared for when things kind of get back to more of a new normal, that now the focus isn't going to be on how do we rebuild, how do we restructure, how do we... They've done all of that. Now the argument can be, what do we... How do we become relevant in the community? What things do we need to... I mean, they've been working on a homeless ministry Yep. during COVID, because you can have people come in one at a time to sort clothing and food and and other things. They worked on a homeless ministry, right? They've been preparing letter-writing campaigns for juvenile detention uh, facilities and things like that. Uh, like they found ways to start being relevant, knowing that when it goes back to new normal, you can start visiting the juvenile detention center and doing things. You can start doing more with food banks and homeless shelters and and other things in the community. They're already primed for that. It's just adding layers instead of having to create whole new things. Exactly. And I think, I mean, I think this is a, a really good transition into, um, you know, a good transition into what we're going to, you know, or or what we believe should be done next. And I didn't know you were going to bring that up. And by the way, uh, if, if anyone's curious, no, we're not doing that thing where we get to lambast the entire church for all the bad it did. And then we're going to talk about these specific churches for the good they did. Um, I think in general, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches ended up seeing this as do or die. In other words, because of the one day to zero days now. And they, a lot of, I think the one thing I'm thankful for, even in my full-time job, is so many more people know how to use the internet to communicate more effectively. And what I mean by that is Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, you know, being comfortable communicating over text message and email. I think there are, the 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 opening of our the opening up of ourselves to new ways to meet is really yeah. really 
is is a really really good thing. And I think what we're seeing now is to some degree people projecting their their anger, frustration and hurt about the pandemic as it's ongoing onto those communication platforms because they've associated the two. And I think that's my biggest I'm so sick of Zoom. I hear that. Yeah, but you're not. You're sick of COVID forcing you on Zoom. That's what you're yeah. sick of. And but we're projecting it onto Zoom. But I think and this is this is the direction I want to go here. I don't think Zoom burnout is real. I think that's a total myth. I think, like, if you're a student in class on Zoom all day, maybe. Um, that, that, that one can be harder because it's just, not a, it's just not the same kind of stimulation if you're there, you know, for hours and hours and hours for material that isn't that great. But that's my point. I think our problem is not that Zoom is what we have to meet on. I think the problem is the value of what we're actually offering isn't worth the price that we're making people pay. In many cases, I think we have fundamentally, I think fundamentally we have a branding problem. And I know that's weird because now I'm stepping into the world of brand consulting and brand strategy and all of that good stuff. Like, like how absurd I understand that, that to some degree, this is, this is odd. And, and you may say, well, we shouldn't ascribe, uh, you know, biz, real world business or secular world business to, to religious organization, but the children of darkness are in their generation more brilliant than the children of light. Yeah. Just, yep. Here's, here's my thing. I don't think a lot of us understand exactly what we sell. And I, like, I think the question that we should be asking, and this is what your church is asking by establishing a vision, a vision and a mission, a vision, um, a vision, a vision. just it's like, like a vicious vision. Yes. Um, or, or, a, or a, a mission. It's what um, jaws held is. I love it. Um, I think your church is doing that. They are defining the product that they offer to people and that they want the, and, and they're deciding what kind of community they really want to be. And, and, by want to be, I what I think I really mean there is what God is calling them to be. They're exploring that in prayer, in faith, in community. And there's a reason that those churches grow fivefold in a pandemic. There's a reason that, like I have, I this has happened your to multiple friends of mine now, where they've stepped into a church uh, or church district in our denomination that is multiple churches in in with one pastor. Um, where there was no growth, it was stagnant or losing members, bleeding members for years. And then all of a sudden, without doing any sort of evangelism or marketing work whatsoever, suddenly people are just, are just like flooding in. And it's because yeah. now, as with new leadership coming in and a new focus and, 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 and new strategy coming into play, a new emphasis, suddenly God and the Holy Spirit, I think he sees that and says, I think this church is finally ready to receive this person. And I think the reason that a lot of churches aren't growing is because God is protecting a lot of those people from the people inside those walls. And so, I, oh, I totally agree. Jesus said, when they hear my voice, they will come, not when they hear your voice. Exactly. And too many times it's been our voice. And I think, I think the question that we should be asking now, we should have been asking it years ago, um, but it, you know, no better time than now. I think the question we need to ask is, what are we really offering people functionally? functionally, what do we actually offer the people who we ask to join, you know, our church that we ask to follow Christ? What, what is it that they really do receive and what does their life look like when they join? Because if as a Christian and as a church member, my anger, 
my doubt, my frustration is no different and no lesser than any of that of, of anyone outside of my church or outside of my belief system. Then what product am I selling? How is that different? How is that an alternative? All that does is give you different language for the same anger. That's all that does. And so I think we, we do need to have a really hard branding conversation to decide um, who we are and in some, and, and in some cases, who our target market actually is. What, what community do you serve? Because as a church, you can't, no church can serve everyone. And having multiple yeah. churches in a city is a good thing because those, those, people will, those churches will reach different kinds of people. And so who is, the, who is the person that comes into your church the most often? Who is the demographic that is served the most by the way your church does life together? There's this, there's this principle in branding I, I was reminded of this morning, um, watching a video actually. And it, it, the, the idea was when you're selling a product, you as a seller determine the price but who did uh, of a product and product can be a service. It can be, you know, it can be anything, right? But the purchaser develops, uh, determines the value. Correct. The buyer determines value. The buyer always determines y- you can set whatever price you want for, for a product, but if no one thinks that it's valuable enough, that it's worth that price, then you're not going to sell it. Bottom line, the buyer determines value. And we have put, in my opinion, we've put a very, very high price on church membership. In fact, several prices on church membership and in and, and Christianity. Um, and no one's buying. And no one's buying. And, and the pandemic is showing that the value of church membership for many isn't worth that price. Whatever arbitrary price their local church is actually putting on joining their community. I, and, and so what I want to see is, is, is similar to what you shared. I want to see research-backed action from us that... Um, it, that's not on statistics on why people leave the church. We don't need to know why 40% of young adults leave the church, but we should know why Jack down the street has seemed really down lately or has let his yard get out of control and his car is a mess and hasn't been washed in, in years <laughs> or months, right? We should be able to know our community and have a strong enough relationship with them that they'd be willing to tell us if we asked. And how can we help you? And how can we serve you? And what can we do for you? Not because we want you to show up, but because we want to just love you because you're someone worth loving, period. And you're someone that Jesus loves. And I think we do need to actually sit down and as local churches and define what we actually are offering to the people that enter our doors. And I think this is the time to do it. Yeah. No, I I went from the beginning of the pandemic thinking this was going to be a total disaster to thinking this is one of the best opportunities the church has had in a millennia. And and what I mean by that is it has forced churches to have conversations they were refusing to have. Yep. And the other thing is it forced churches to break cycles of habit they didn't know how to get out of. You know, it's kind of like the old saying, the only difference between a rut and a grave is depth. And a lot of us were in ruts we didn't know how to get out of, and we were digging our own grave. And that's why I keep saying there are some parts of the normal, of the old normal, that I hope never come back. Yeah, that's why it's, it should be a new normal, not the old normal. And it obviously, you never can go exactly back the way it was. That's why it's the new normal. But 
But that being said, it it broke cycles. When you've been in a church 70, 80 years and you've always done the order of service the same way, or the music's always been the same, or the way it's preached has always been the same, or the way the color of the carpet is has always been the same, whatever. You know, no one is willing to, and 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 I don't mean this, I, I get that there's pressures on leadership and and public pressures, and nobody wants to be the one that, quote, killed something, or nobody wants to be the one that made something look like it by whatever metrics we measure success, it's going the other way. But I can speak from my own denominational persuasion. I don't think our leaders have had the guts to shut churches down for a while to reboot them. Mm-hmm. I just I just think, and that's not that they're horrible people. I don't, I don't mean that at all. I just think, you know, and everyone kind of makes jokes about it. I remember when I first came into ministry and people were like, well, there's some churches that are like vulture churches and we leave them there just for you to realize how dead they are and learn a little bit. And then you can get promoted to a church mm. that you can actually do something. And I'm like, shut the thing down. If you know it's unhealthy and it's just eating everybody alive and they're just on life support. And, and I don't mean this to be an analogy with like people that are actually on life support, but I'm just saying sometimes the most merciful thing to do is, is let it die and, and reboot. But I get nobody wants to do that. Well, the pandemic took that decision away. Yep. Society said everything's got to close. And so overnight, healthy or unhealthy, and the majority were unhealthy, they all had to shut. So for the first time in 70 years, I didn't show up and do the same thing I've always done. I can't show up. And then when you do get to have the internet service or you do have something else, you can't do the same thing you've done. It just doesn't work in that medium, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And for me, this is just me personally, I've realized as struggling as the pandemic has made things as difficult, as frustrating, and yeah, I express frustration about masks and and people that don't like them and all of that. But that even aside, there's been excellent opportunity in it if we would have just taken it. Now, the, the time to have these discussions and not have to worry about making the service work every week because mm-hmm. you're not. You just have to preach something onto a screen and, and transmit it or, or whatever. You don't have to worry if your music is horrible because people are going to watch the music video. You know, you can't have a group playing there. You can, you know, you could figure these things out. You had the space to do it. The second thing is, is you, you broke the cycle so that when people were unsure, you had the ability to reshift pieces and right. You know, you could, you had the flexibility to experiment with stuff and people didn't immediately get defensive because they didn't think it was long-term. They just thought, well, this is them having to figure it out because of COVID. Right. And it's just so convenient that we can keep a lot of it after COVID. Right, but we had the the safety to experiment, and then last, this is going to sound really cruel, but I do believe this. Things like mask mandates or other things have helped take away the toxic people that were running some of these places because their toxicity made them make a stand on certain things, as ridiculous as I think they are, and it caused them to separate from the community temporarily making it a safe spot to grow so that by the time those toxic people come back, their toxicity is diluted, yep. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Right? You know, the five the five angry, bitter, because they've gone through stuff in life, and, and I get that, but the five angry, bitter old folk or whatever, or even young folk or whatever people in your church are the angry, bitter ones, right? They were bitter about masks or they were bitter about the church closing or they were bitter about the internet or they were bitter about whatever. They left. They found their bitter hill to die on and they left. And we've been busy during the pandemic growing. And by the time things go back to new normal and they don't have to wear a mask because, you know, mask mandates are starting to end and other things. When they come back because their hill they died on is done. Well, it's too late. The change has taken place. A, A new core has been created and they're outnumbered five to one. 
so that now maybe they, and I mean this good for them too, maybe now they are in an environment where we can help heal them. Yeah. Right. A bunch of toxic people can't heal each other if they're all in trouble. Right. But if you, if you've developed something that's more healthy, we can go, Hey, we were where, where you were and now come along with us. You, you don't have to stay there. Right. So I'm not just saying, yay, all the toxic people are gone. I mean, I, I hope some of them come back. Of course, I, I selfishly hope they come back one at a time so we can process them and, and help them before they just create a larger clique of toxicity. Yeah. But the pandemic's given us that opportunity. And I don't, I, I can't foresee at least anything in my lifetime that would have given us the option to do that independent of something horrible, like usually happened, like a church split mm-hmm. or, or something else was usually where a lot of these conversations and things happened. And we didn't have to have the split. We just had a shutdown yep. and it's, it's allowed those of us who took advantage of it to do things that, you know, I mean, just picking on that church that's grown in my district. I think they could have done it even without the pandemic, but I'm under no illusions. I think the pandemic accelerated it greatly. I think we could have, re- where we are now, 10 months after that process began, without a pandemic could have taken us five or six years. Yeah. And it's been condensed and accelerated in 10 months. I was going to say, I, I think, think it, only the pandemic made that possible. It helped us fast forward a bit and catch back up more so than, you know, brought us ahead. I think, I think it just you know, caught us up in several ways. Because that's the thing, like even the churches yeah. that were doing innovative things weren't really doing anything innovative. From an objective point of view, we were doing innovation from a internal point of view. Things that the organization had never done before, but others have been doing for years. You know, online services, yeah. that's not innovation. It is for your church, maybe. People have been doing that forever. People have been doing that for a long time. It's, it, you know, it. you changed your music. Well, sorry, they already yep. did that in the 90s. You ever heard of Hillsong? Yep. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, so I, I agree with you. And I think, I, I would say this, if you are in a position of leadership at your church, one way, you know, or the other, and you can get someone to listen through all of our 40 minutes of lambasting, um, I, I, the only thing I can say is, I think the only way a church comes out of this pandemic as a failure is if you still, is, is one of two things or both. Either you go back completely to the way things were, or you continue forward with the service without being able to go a weekend without your church service. If, if, your, if your church is still completely revolved around the actual, you know, the, the, the few hours that you gather together, then um, I think at the end of this, I think that we will have, any, any churches in that category, will, will, I could consider have, have failed in adapting and have failed in moving forward. Um, now, I won't say they failed as far as like, I think they succeeded in surviving. And I think that's a good thing and should we can celebrate that to some degree. But I think if we, if we refuse to stay with some of the strides that many of us have made through this and the opportunities that have been presented, um, I think that, that we, I think that's where we, we would be, I could classify us as failures. So, yeah, as a, as a side note, something you just said gave me, if I'm silenced, because you just gave me an idea to use it, this church. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you just said something about the, if you can't live without the service, I went, oh, that just answered something. So my brain went somewhere else. Hey, that's like, oh, my oh, consulting. Quick, I, this, uh, I, I I'll gotta... send you a bill in the mail, um, your church. Oh, why? Thank um, you. No, that's great. I, I guess I'll, I, I can wrap up how I feel in, in pretty much in just one little bit here. And then, you know, Henry, if you want to close out with 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 any anything that you want to talk about or or mention i think the church post post pandemic whatever post pandemic looks like 
needs to learn its immediate value, understand its price and its product. It needs to understand its product, but I think it needs to learn its immediate value, understand its price, and I think it needs to harmonize those two things. And the problem is, and this is the challenge, I don't think you can ever understand your value without actually talking and engaging with a community that you're asking to make the purchase. If you are not engaged with the market, you know, with your target audience, with your target market, how will you ever know what they're willing to pay for a product or a service? And in the same deal, and in the same vein, and and I'm using marketing and branding principles here, but I I really hope the translation here is kind of obvious. (laughs) Um, The only way to get there is by actually engaging with our community. And that's both in internal community and external community, because our members are also receiving a product. They're receiving a service. They're receiving something. And the question we need to ask is, are they receiving what we intended them to receive? And if not, how can we be ruthless in our pursuit of, of, of offering the product that we believe is worth all of this time and effort? If, and I mean ruthless to, you know, cutting out sermons that don't, that don't give us the product, you know, that aren't offering the product. The product is a, a saving relationship. The product with, is the book I was holding yeah. up there trying to get yeah, you exact, to, yeah, to right. get when I was done with the sermon. Um, if you believe that the, the product you're selling is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and selling is a really bad word in that context, but if you believe the product you're offering is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, is a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ, then ask if those that are coming into your doors are, are if they even understand that that's what they're being offered. And if that's what they're actually getting. And for your church members, is have their lives been transformed? Are they in the process of being transformed? Are they in the process of growing? Or are we stagnant? Because if so, then we've stopped offering the product that we thought we want that we were offering. Or we're offering an entirely different one. And so that's why I say, like, I think we really do need to do some 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 soul searching, some heart searching to understand our value, understand our price, and harmonize the two so that we can actually effectively grow our churches, be church families, and pursue Jesus Christ together within the context of a biblical community. That's how I feel about this, and that's what I hope happens for churches. And that process can happen now. Even if it didn't happen a year ago, it can happen right now. And it needs to happen right now because the new normal is going to be here before you know it. I I think we're on the tail end of this. I'm not just feeling optimistic because I just got my first COVID vaccine today, but I, I genuinely believe we are on the verge of coming out of this. Oh, that's why I saw and, a mark showing up on your your forehead slowly. It's just been fading into view, and a mark on no, your no, hand. No, no, it's the computer. It's it's the it's the computer chip in my ah, wrist. Ah, that's actually, what it is. Okay, gotcha. Me, but no, please, <laughs> side note, folks, please. I know there's a lot of held beliefs on vaccines and things and and public health. I just advocate, please don't trust what you just read on the internet. Please talk to health professionals. Talk to people that, I mean, I know Google is easy and we want to believe that we're so powerful because I can just look up anything and know. But unless you went to medical school, could you please, please listen to the health professionals? Because part of getting back to the new normal is going to be doing things that help keep you safe and keep other people safe. And look at the bright side. It's not a mask. Facts. And also, if you're worried about a computer chip in a vaccine, which I don't think any of the audience of absurdity is, um, you carry one in your phone. Like, it's already too late. 
half of the they already track yeah, you. All they of know, the Capitol rioters you know, got found because of that data. Like it's not even a. You already do. You're complaining. That's a pointless argument, in my opinion. That's all. I mean, your your Amazon or Apple, you know, assistant already knows everything. Yep. About what you've ordered. That's beside the point. Anyway, conspiracy theories aside, or are the realities of the modern world? I, I would just second what what you're saying. We need to do it now. And I guess the way I would summarize is while we have been without the church, the service, etc., where we couldn't be within the building. We need to have the conversation. Was the gospel really within our heart? And then post-pandemic, we need to clearly have an answer. Is it all about being within the building or being with those outside the building? Because depending on your answer to that is whether you're going to be relevant or you're going to die. Mm. And I really do personally believe, this is just me right now, I believe the churches that have used the pandemic to ask those questions will succeed, and every single church that hasn't will die. And part of me and my selfish part of me says, I hope they die quickly and make room for those who who decided to get well, on with the And journey. let me say, too, I, I, I hope they die quickly, too, because the longer and more painful that process is, the harder it's going to be for those that, that do have a shot at a healthy faith. Um, it's going to be harder for them to come back and to get, to, into, healthy and to get into healthy communities. Yeah. That, like, I, and, I, and I mean that in all the kindest way, but man, for, for those that are going to pass away, uh, church organizations, I hope it is quick, and I hope... Um, as it's as painless as possible so that those so that people can move on and and experience healthier communities um absolutely and i really don't want that to be the case as far as any church to die if it you know if it doesn't need to and i don't think any of us need to but i think our own attitudes and our own approaches to this stuff is what's going to make that a reality if we're not careful and intentional Yes, in dealing with our anger and our hurt, and we all have it, whether we've been in church or wrestling with people that have it or not, all of our emotional well-beings took a hit in this, and we need the church to be one of many components in a multifaceted process to help people through the other side of this pandemic deal with their isolation, with their grief, with their anger. Mm -hmm. And part of that is what the gospel was primed to do. And if we don't realize that, then you need to re-examine the gospel. And if your church isn't a place that's going to help facilitate, you know, people growing in all of those areas, this might be another good time to add that to the conversation. How can we take part in that? Yep, absolutely. So with that, Henry, um, this has been fun. And uh, as we both adjust to now being absurdity, because um, it is very strange. This is a this is this is cool, but very strange. And eventually, all the meta references to what we're doing now will 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 they'll go away with time. Don't worry. Um, but thank you guys so much for journeying with us. Um, for our absurdity listeners who've always been absurdity listeners, I I hope you look forward to weekly content from us. And a reminder that full episode, full length episodes, whenever we go over about an hour and 15 minutes or so, full length episodes will be available to all patrons of any price level. Um, and I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to patrons at the $30 level of one hour per month. So um, if that's something you're interested in, um, then go check out Patreon in the show notes below. Thank you guys so much. And you're going to want to check out Patreon because there's some exciting things coming down the road for Absolutely. you guys. Absolutely. So with that, thank you everyone uh, for listening and we'll see you next week.